everybody, and welcome back to another episode of Unwise Girls. I'm your host, Jacqueline. And I'm your other host, Jane. And we're your favorite podcast, all about the books of Rick Riordan. Today, we're continuing The Son of Neptune. How you doing today, Jane? Oh, I'm I'm doing all right. I, I went to Edinburgh today uh, for like some family stuff. Uh, that, that was really fun, except for the fact that... Um, the, the council refuses to pay the bin men properly, so they're on strike. So there's bin, there's trash everywhere. Oh, God. So uh, good good luck to those bin men who are on strike. Oh, for sure. I've never heard bin men before. That's so fun. <laughs> Probably also slightly outdated and sexist as a term now that I think about it. There are many proud bin women as well, I'm sure. <laughs> God, no, like... I don't know. It's it's it sounds like a faction you would have in like a like a Victorian like heist game. <laughs> like oh, there's the bin men. <laughs> God, I can't wait until you finish your RPG about exactly this. I I'll make the bin men. It's already it already exists. It's just Blades in the Dark. <laughs> How are you, Jacqueline? I'm doing just fine. I just got out of work. Bought some nice sheets for my bed. Ooh. Uh, we we have a bigger bed than we used to, and so we've just been using two of our old sheets, kind of like <laughs> sideways <laughs> along the bed instead of like actually having fitted That's... sheets. I I'm glad that you have finally bought like proper furnishings. Oh, you know, <laughs> uh, it's going. It I love moving. I uh, you do it a lot. You've moved like three times since we started doing the show. Is that true? At least twice. I moved I moved out of my home state into where the state I'm living now, and then I moved to where I am now. So I guess twice, yeah. You you love you love to move. You love moving. I love it. Uh speaking of things that I love, shall we just get straight into these chapters? Yeah, sure. Alright. Chapter thirteen. Percy. Percy's first sleep at Camp Jupiter goes about how you would imagine it. It's full of magical dreams. He sees Grover and Annabeth, who tell him to wait where he is so Tyson can find him. Then his dream shifts to a possible future, where a golden giant stands victorious over Camp Jupiter, and Gaia says she'll make Percy into her pawn. He wakes up, and after that, uh, sees everyone is getting all toga-clad because a Senate meeting has been called. The fifth cohort heads into New Rome, passing through the border of Terminus, the god of boundaries. As they pass through town, Percy's amazed that the demigods and legacies were able to just live normal lives, and he dreams about shirking his responsibilities and having that kind of future with Annabeth, but shakes the thought off and enters the forum. Chapter 14. Percy. The Senate have gathered for an emergency meeting, not to question anything about the quest, but to promote Frank from Probatio to Centurion the only rank that can actually lead a quest. Octavian uses this controversial move to stoke the Legion sentiment against Reyna, making her seem foolish. An SPQR tattoo is burned into Frank's arm, making a centurionship official, and Octavian begins to question him about his quest plans. Apart from the basic, we're going to Alaska, there's basically none, and Octavian even pokes at that. Why send a bunch of losers to Alaska, where the gods have no power? He convinces the Legion that it must be a test by Mars, uh, specifically a test to see if Camp Jupiter is prepared for the coming battle, and therefore the quest should be given no resources, save for the usage of the Roman Navy. If the 5th cohort succeeds, great, and if they die, well, that's just fine too. Some of the major characters they'll be involved are explained too. Uh, their enemy is Alcyonius, the eldest giant, and the anti-Pluto, who is unable to be killed in his home territory, which has now become Alaska. Their goal is to save Thanatos, the guy who actually brings souls to the underworld and keeps them there, which is described using an overwrought border patrol metaphor. Mm -hmm. uh, so now that he's been chained up, his personal doors between life and death are under the control of Gaia's forces. The Senate meeting wraps, and after our heroes commiserate, Octavian catches up to Percy and smarmily sends him to speak with Reyna in private. Chapter 15. Percy. Reyna's talk with Percy starts off with her telling him he destroyed her and her sister's home, and then accusing him of being a spy. Great. Percy doesn't remember, but we do. It seems like four years ago, after he and Annabeth released Blackbeard's crew on Circe's island from hamster form, they ransacked the place. 
forcing Reyna and her sister Hylia and leading uh, out and leading Reyna to Camp Jupiter. When it comes to the spy part, Octavian's apparently been talking about how Percy's some so-called Greek demigod who's plotting with Gaia for the Romans' downfall. After letting on that she and Jason were an almost couple, she then asked Percy to be her new co-prater, but he's hesitant, what with already having a girlfriend and generally not liking being in positions of power and all. She's a bit impressed at a man turning down power, but still wants him to take up the offer since there's also apparently an entirely different giant leading an army toward Camp Jupiter right now. Reyna's last request is that Percy take her ring and find Hylia in Seattle. She's gone silent the past few weeks, and Reyna's worried she's been killed. Chapter 16, Percy. After saying goodbye to his Camp Half-Blood shirt, Percy joins Frank and Hazel on an elephant ride to the camp border, where, after another visit with Terminus the Border God, who warns them about someone named Polybides, they go on their way, taking the bar into Oakland and eventually reaching the San Francisco Bay, where they find the totality of the Roman Navy. A tiny, disgusting dinghy called Pax. Percy uses his magic boat powers to fix it up and the kids sail on toward the Golden Gate Bridge. So, Jane, what did you think of the chapters this week? I feel like every week I say this is a land of contrasts. Uh, but this week there was less of a contrast than usual. I was a lot more positive than I was negative. What, what, what do you think? Yeah, I felt pretty similarly. I didn't have a lot to complain about here. Uh, aside, aside from the one obvious thing. The, the one really obvious thing that I'm sure we'll talk about for like 25 minutes or whatever. Of course. I do want to very quickly get into what I'm sure everyone wants to hear about with these chapters. Uh-huh. Uh, Hannibal the Elephant. Yes. Uh, I I can't tell if this is supposed to be like a three layers deep ironic poke at Rome by Rick. Or if I'm just like massively overthinking it. Well, Hannibal. So, yeah. He wasn't, he wasn't Roman. He was like Carthaginian, right? Yes. And the thing with Carthage is that I, I I was just like I was like just having this discussion with friends the other day for some reason because we're weird. Um, mm-hmm. Carthage was just like kind of also like Rome, like we're also just like Rome. We do the shit that Rome does, but then Rome did the did the shit better and like burned all their stuff down and erased everything of theirs from existence. I, basically, I believe it's where like the concept of salting the earth comes from. <laughs> Yeah, which is a historical, if I remember, but like that's uh-huh. still like the the general like gist of it. <laughs> so having having the Roman camp have an elephant named Hannibal, it seems like it's just rubbing the salt in the wound a little bit. Well, okay, but this is why I'm like, is this like an on purpose thing to make the Romans look stupid? Because it's it's they've got this elephant, they named it Hannibal. He's like their big dumb pet. Uh, and that's that's very funny. Uh, there's a funny slam on that empire that fell apart in this tiny enclave of an empire that fell apart after that happened. Yeah, yeah, I could like, see that. <laughs> I, I think maybe I think maybe in this case, you might be going a little bit too deep with it. It's Paul. I I I just like to imagine that this is like hubris. We're like Hannibal is the sign of things to come. I mean, we already know that they are doomed to fall. There's a there's a giant coming their way. They can't defeat a giant. Yeah, that's never happened before. No, uh, I believe this is the first book in the Heroes of Olympus series. Uh, let me... <laughs> I don't know. We woke up in this fucking house full of wolves a few days ago, wearing like purple t-shirts. We don't remember any of the other books we've read. Yeah, exactly. I. <laughs> oh, that should have. We should have gone for that concept earlier. <laughs> would have been funny damn uh, I'm actually the one wearing the purple t-shirt in the art so I this has been both a blessing and a curse of uh, <laughs> I uh, I does it make me the official representative of this series like what I think it means that uh, you lifted it off one of the dead Camp Jupiter kids oh that's fun <laughs> That's why that's why it's all uh, covered in blood and viscera in the uh, podcast art for Hit New Podcast uh, Dead Teen House Party. Oh, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> this is actually this are the the unwise girls people don't know this. The the photograph, the like painting, uh, the the live <laughs> painting that was done of the unwise girls 
uh, art was taken actually after the Dead Teen House Party art. This is the deep timeline shit. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I we need lore. More podcast art needs lore. It's true. Go listen to Dead Teen House Party, Sound of the Summer, etc. It's good. Uh, but uh, self-promotion aside. <laughs> Bullshit about elephants aside. So is this our first, is this our first magic dream? I think it is. Yeah, this is the first, well, it's the first Percy magic dream in a while. I think Jason had some, right? He did. He definitely did. But in, in this book, I guess I mean. Mm-hmm, yeah. Because I don't think anyone's been to sleep yet because it's all been over the same like few hours. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, and this one is fine. It's pretty bog standard by prophetic dream standards. Uh, apart from we we get a mention of one of our one of our one of our sleeper hits, one of our all time faves, Tyson. <laughs> God, yeah. I I was I was thinking while reading that it's so strange to have come as far as we have on Tyson. Yeah. Or I'm like. I, I'm so disillusioned with the new shit that I just, I'm desperate for that to move across to make room for Tyson to re-enter the picture. <laughs> yeah, that's really weird, actually. <laughs> I think it's fucking hilarious that Percy, like, sees Grover and his first reaction isn't like, oh, my heart stopped, like, I could tell that I recognize this person somehow, but, like, his first reaction is like, sorry, man, no change. Like, for fuck's the- sake. <laughs> Like, it's hilarious. And also, just like, I don't, God, I don't know. It's such a funny, Grover really has just become irrelevant. He really, he, God, I hadn't thought about it like that, but you're right. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's built on the shitty stuff about fawns that we've seen, but that is a funny bit. Yes, exactly. <laughs> like, the, at the, simultaneously, I don't like seeing Percy being the guy who is like, kind of an asshole to homeless people on the street. Uh-huh. Uh, but also, very funny. I, if we see Grover again, I think this is our first appearance of Grover in the series. Yeah, you're right. He wasn't in Lost Hero at all. So, yeah, he really is getting the short end of the stick. Do, do you think we're still like laboring under the delusion like in the text that he's Percy's best friend? Because that can't be true at this point. They've got. They've still got the empathy link, but like... There's a lot of Sea of Monsters shit popping up in these chapters. There actually really is. Uh, <laughs> like, there's the empathy, there's the empathy link. There's Tyson, and I mean, should we just talk about Cersei, the Cersei stuff? Yeah, this is weird. It is, but I like to see it. Oh, definitely. I just, I, I didn't expect turning a bunch of hamsters into Blackbeard and his crew to be the thing that would like come back and bite Percy in the ass like six books later. <laughs> No, yeah. <laughs> like, it's it's really... It's just, like, a, such a strange little choice. But I feel like I remember us talking about it then and being like, wow, this is kind of fucked up. Yeah. Oh, and it was kind of fucked up, it seems. It's... Like... It, it's so... It's kind of... It's really funny how Raina talks about it because she does discuss it as if it is, like, her traumatic, tragic backstory. Uh-huh. Which I'm sure it was for her. But from our perspective, it was a weird, funny chapter where Blackbeard was a hamster. Exactly. There's a bit like, of whiplash here. This is like, what, five years? Maybe not five years, but this is like years and years after that book came out. I, mm-hmm. I, I wouldn't be surprised if there were kids who like read the original one when it came out, then read this one, and were like, what the fuck is she talking about? <laughs> I guess, I, to, to a degree, you don't have to know. You just, like... Because Percy and Annabeth went on adventures that we didn't see. So you could just conclude that it was that. Yeah, or just like, oh, they did a lot of stuff. I'm sure that I'm forgetting it. But yeah, yeah, this this is interesting. I'm it, it kind of like back back explains, which I guess is just explaining uh, why <laughs> Reyna earlier on was like so in, in like immediately wary of Percy. Um and I, I enjoy that. I think that, like, I think that these little events that they do should tie back in eventually in this way. Like, mm-hmm. not all of them, but, like, occasionally you want something to matter. And a lot of the times with these books, it just feels like the little one-off encounters just, like, don't matter sometimes. Yeah. 
Yeah, and I think that it also, it plays into something that we've been saying a lot about this book so far, which is like, Lost Hero was like the spin-off, this very much feels like the sequel. And that's, that's kind of reinforced by like getting these direct consequences for shit that Percy did in the last series. Yeah, um, I, I guess if, at the same time, like, I, I feel like we kind of talked about this before, um, the fact that this is the second book and Sea of Monsters was the second book. It's true. So, uh, it's like who poetry, knows? it rhymes. It's exactly. It, I was, <laughs> I was fucking. I'm always saying the fuck that shit, but I'm, I'm glad that I wasn't the one who said it this time. <laughs> oh God, I yeah. It's a, it's objectively a hilarious dramatic backstory to have. Uh, <laughs> like I'm sure that it's not great for your home to be ransacked by pirates especially like blackbeard uh but (laughs) it's just really funny i especially because percy can't even like think about what it means yeah i i wonder if it was like a necessity for him to have this discussion while his brain was wiped because i i imagine he probably would have lost his shit at least a little when he remembered what happened and then, like, just immediately realizing what company he's in. I, yeah. I wonder if he would have recognized her, like, if he hadn't had his memories wiped. Oh, I, mm, I don't know. Because he spent most of that also as a hamster, right? Like, it was Annabeth who saw most of that place. That is true, yeah. So, I, I just think it's an interesting move because, like, Usually the reason you bring back up old plot elements and, like, consequences of characters' actions is for them to, like, think about and then work on, like, what they've concluded or learned from it. Mm-hmm. And Percy can't really learn anything from this. <laughs> He's just, like, in the world's, like, most weirdly intense scenario. He's like, what? why is this girl, like, shoving a ring in my face, calling me, saying that I, like, destroyed her home? What the fuck is she talking about? For him, it was Tuesday. It's it's exactly that. Hylia. We don't know much about Hylia yet, but that is... All, all I know about this name is that it's in The Legend of Zelda. I was gonna, all, all it tells me is that Rick had dusted off his old N64 and was playing around on that the weekend that he was writing this bit. I think there's a really good chance that's literally just true. <laughs> <laughs> like, I'm sure if I looked it up, Hylia is a real name, but... Probably. Like, Zelda's a real name, too. Yeah, I... Hmm. Well, now that I'm thinking about it, and, like... Reyna's parents could just be Zelda fans. That's also true. Unless she's, like... uh Uh-huh. Wasn't uh, wasn't Cersei's Island, like, fucking frozen in time, like the Lotus Hotel and Casino or something? I'm not sure. That's what I was wondering, because... I could go back and check, but I don't want to read Sea of Monsters again. Exactly. And, like, <laughs> the thing is, is that, like, that's why Blackbeard was still alive, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and at the same time, though, like, I guess if a place is frozen in time, that doesn't mean that new people can't enter it. That's true. And so, like, they could have been more recent, but also, I don't know, maybe they're, like, a D'Angelo situation. Hmm, Yeah. We're just fucking stashing all of our new uh, kids at the big three in the past and then bringing them out now. We'll run uh, it eventually, but not today. Is is Bologna part of the big three? Did I forget this? Uh, you know what? <laughs> Moving on. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I shouldn't tease. I we 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 need to uh how's the phrase go? Eat our hats. Uh I like eat, eat some humble pie. Uh-huh. Uh we we made a prediction last week where we were like, uh, oh, we were really looking forward to having some like good uh like uh some politicking while we were in this like cool Roman camp, some like some backstabbing, some wheeler dealing, that kind of thing. And we were disappointed because we thought, okay, Mars has shown up and given out the prophecy. It's time to go. So we're not getting that. Uh, turns out we were wrong. That was all in these chapters. It it really was. Um, uh, and, and it rules. 
Yeah, I'm, I'm very satisfied with it, actually. <laughs> the b- b- I think everything that this covers is, like, Octavian uh, using, like, the entire time, very obviously, but, like, there's nothing anyone can do to stop him. Like, just, like, turning the entire camp against Drena. Um, yeah. It really shows, like, this guy is a fucking schemer, and he's, like, very dangerous because of it. Like, it's, you know, it's it's kids' book politicking, but, like, it's good kids' book politicking, so I can't complain too much. Or it's just yeah. him, like, standing at the front and, like, very obviously deflecting all the bad decisions onto Reyna. Yeah, I think it being such a straightforward manipulation makes, kind of makes it work more. Mm-hmm. I think if it was too subtle, it would be, like, not showing why this is dangerous. Because, like, yeah, uh-huh. anyone can subtly manipulate. Like, we, we've seen a, middle, a, a million subtle manipulators in this series. But, True. like, Octavian is doing, like, very much the politician thing. Mm-hmm. Like, when you're a politician, you want to be, like, loud and noticed. And you want to make the big exaggerated, like, oh, well, I guess this has to happen, but it wasn't my fault. It was someone else's fault. And uh, him just being able to do that and get away with it and have it work, that's like that's the real threat there. It's the real threat. It's also um, the first like kind of gap in the armor that we've seen because we've... I, I, I in particular have been very cagey about like you've, you've given him a bit more credit on this and I might need to uh, defer to you on this. Uh, you've given Rick a bit more credit on, like, portraying Rome as, like, a bit more of a flawed society. And I think, like, the way that Octavian, like, very effectively plays on, like, the insecurities and fears of the Roman Senate about, like, the failed uh, the failed expedition and, like, the prospects of the giants coming in to, like, kind of stoke their insecurities and make them, like, go all isolationist mode is, like, actually a... a a, a neat little criticism of like the way that Rome works. Just, just I, I, I enjoy seeing that in the book. Yeah, I agree. Uh, I, I agree that I was right. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, though I, I, I think it's sick. Octavian is a cool character. Uh, he, he's a little twerp, but oh, I hope someone knocks his teeth in. But <laughs> absolutely, I can't not imagine him as some like combination of like. Luke and Aridan from Homestuck. <laughs> you, your brain is fucking terminally poisoned. I mean, yes. <laughs> oh god. Um, the. Oh fuck! I can see it. <laughs> okay. God. Sorry for spreading my poison to you. <laughs> if you would like to listen to Jacqueline spread more poison to me, listen to our bonus show, Nectar of the Pods. This is right. Um, yeah, the other thing that Octavian is really doing in this chapter is that he's just, like, predicting a bunch of bad shit will happen. Um, and be- basically, like, using that as well to, like, oh, you know, some bad shit's gonna happen. We have this fucking Grecus kid over here. I bet <laughs> he's the problem. Like, it's another bit of, like, the isolationist thing. Like, he is... Yeah. It's the xenophobia he's specifically, like, trying to stoke. Yeah, definitely. And that's, Both like, a... the medium of killing beanie babies. Yeah, exactly. Like, he can just... He can just make this shit... I don't know if we said this so directly. He's obviously yeah. making shit up. Oh, he is 100% bullshitting. Like, the, there's no way these beanie babies tell him anything. Hmm. Because he, he got, like, uh, his read on Percy at the start of, um, like, when Percy had just arrived was, like, you know, he's not gonna fucking kill all of us. But then again, I guess he maybe just says that about everyone until he can decide whether or not they're useful. Uh-huh. I guess, I mean, it's possible he could be working with the with the enemy, too. I, I am once again imploring Rick Ryden to not do that. Uh, same. I kept saying this throughout all of Kane Chronicles that I was hoping for this, and everyone kept turning out to work for Apophis. I just, please let Octavian be a grubby little shit with his own agenda. I'm begging you. No, I agree. I think that, like, I'm gonna, because of patterns, I'm fearful, but, like, I, I want there to just be 
a different villain who's doing things for different motivations that doesn't ultimately get sucked under the category of the larger villain. Yeah. Because the fact that there is just a rogue element at camp who will kill people, let's not forget his failed murder. Mm-hmm. And is also willing to just, like, he's willing to murder, he's willing to manipulate, and it's all to just get that praetorship. That is something that I think should, I guess, almost, I almost want it to be, like, with Piper, or, sorry, with Piper and Drew. Mm-hmm. Where I really want this to basically not have anything to do with the adventure. Or, like, it can have some to do with it. Like, it's already affecting it because of the really great way that Octavian manipulates ever. Like, basically just is like, hey, we shouldn't give them any resources. That's, like, that's fucking, that's great and so fucked. But other than that, I just want this to be something that is resolved in camp. Yeah, I'm definitely hoping for that as well, that this is just something, a thread that we pick up later and it doesn't turn out that Octavian is fucking Alicinius's secret guy on the inside. Yeah. Uh, they sure do seem fucked, huh? They, yeah, they don't even, like, like, if you go to Camp Half-Blood and you, they send you on a quest, they uh, will let you, like, take out a loan and become an indentured servant working in the strawberry fields after you get back. Uh, Camp Jupiter doesn't even let you do that. You get a shitty boat, and that's your lot. Fuck off. God. No, yeah. It's like, okay, first of all, it's a very funny joke about, like, haha, the Roman Navy. Uh, <laughs> but that, that aside, yeah, this is very much, like, people have to fucking... They have to fucking scrap. They have to fucking... They're very much being set up to fail. They've they've rolled a desperate position on their engagement role, and I been playing I, more beam saber, huh? I I have been. Um, <laughs> it's very like, is this the worst starting position any of our characters have ever been in a book? Uh yes, yes, it is. Because I was thinking, the, probably the the closest we've had to this is Percy and Annabeth fucking off from camp without an official quest in Sea of Monsters. More more, more from that, I guess. But they at least had time to, like, grab some supplies, and Annabeth had a little stashes. Uh, these guys are fucks. Yeah, like, they're, they're given no help. Uh, they have a ring, a, a shitty little boat. I wait, <laughs> I just want to say, it's so funny that they're in almost exactly the same position that Jason was in last time, like the Jason crew. But Jason was oh, yeah. able to fly. Jason got a fucking dragon. He got a fucking dragon. And like, <laughs> I just love that this is like closing in on the stakes insofar as like, well, we've ramped it up so the earth is very dangerous now. And like, okay, but you know who can't travel by air ever is fucking <laughs> Percy Jackson. And... I... Mm-hmm. The fact that Zeus is such a spiteful fuck that Percy saved his ass in Last Olympian and, like, Zeus must know what Juno slash Hera has been up to vis-a-vis, like, wiping his memory. The fact that he would not make an allowance yeah, and especially with fucking Gaia being on the rise, that he would not make an allowance for Percy to be able to travel by air and will fucking strike him down no matter what happens as... As punishment for giving his lightning bolt back. He's such a douchebag. I love the serious portrayal of Zeus. Yeah, absolutely. Zeus <laughs> Zeus is willing to let the entire world burn if he was just <laughs> able to send one lightning bolt down and strike Percy Jackson dead. But for, for like the equivalent of well actually him in court over an unpaid parking ticket and it turning out that he didn't need to pay the fine. Yeah, he. That's the that's the level that this is on. No, yeah, because he's like, oh, you've 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 disgraced this the Olympian. You've disgraced the honor we would give you by making us claim our children. But like, they didn't even start claiming all their children. Yeah, they didn't claim all their children at Camp Jupiter. They didn't. They just shunted off all the minor gods' duties onto even minorer gods. <laughs> 
Like Zeus was fine. He wasn't doing anything that Percy had told him to. Yeah. Yeah. He doesn't. It doesn't matter. He doesn't have any more kids. <laughs> he doesn't have any more kids. He has to claim. <laughs> Wait. Well, I guess. Well, hang on. Now, hold on. Great prophecy's done. Oh. No need for the pact anymore. Well, the great prophecy. I bet Zeus not... is fucking getting out there. Oh my god, you're right. <laughs> I mean, he can he wait. Is, like he is out there every night, blasting rope. God, come on. <laughs> the, the like, okay. No, that's wait. what he's doing. Jesus Christ, James. <laughs> uh, no, he's coming in. Uh, <laughs> um. <laughs> He's got like 13 years until he has to claim those kids. He can fucking let Percy stand until then, at least. That's true, actually. He'll probably die by by that point. Percy will 100% die. Oh, God. Mainly because of his, like... If, if nothing else, this book is cemented that, like... The thing with Jason in the last book was, like... If you... he He's, he's such a passive character that he will, like complain if he is told to eat shit but like he'll do it whereas like th- this book has shown us that percy if sufficiently motivated will go out and seek out shit to eat yes <laughs> yes absolutely amazing <laughs> metaphor thank you <laughs> he will go to the stables he will clean them by mouth this is how he cleaned them in battle of the labyrinth I, I'm pretty sure that's true. Like, if I, I I don't have the book on me, but if I went back and read that, I think that's just right. That chapter was really fucking weird. I don't know what Rick was doing. Yeah, I. <laughs> oh, Christ. <laughs> What's. Our energy is weird today. <laughs> Writing down a quick note. Do, do I want to know? I, I'm just thinking about making a Percy Jackson RPG. Do it. No, I definitely, I'm thinking about like, oh, Percy Jackson, there's an idea that I've seen a few different people try to do, which is like take Forge in the Dark games mm, and yeah. flip it so that the main meat of it is the downtime and free play um, as a, and like have a very like shortened style of mission. I, I, I'm considering how like for campers, most of the year is downtime and free play and there's yeah. like a, a week of mission. So... <laughs> I don't know. I'm, I I think this could be interesting. Oh, fuck. I just... Speaking of Percy Jackson and games that you would play on the table with friends... Yeah? I have fucking... This is from last week, I guess, but it's something that I need to mention. Okay. Is that I, I figured out why Nico went to Camp Jupiter. Why? Uh, because in the fucking Roman fortress, in, like, the room where they were guarding the flag... There were like eight people playing Mytho Magic. Oh my god, you're right. <laughs> this is why the... Nico switched camps, is because people around here are into the same games as him. Wait, no, I forgot to talk about that, but yeah. Like, that's <laughs> that's kind of amazing. I really do hope he gets to play because that I'm gonna get kind of sad if Nico just like doesn't get to play Mytho Magic. Or if he's just given up forever. No, that's too sad to think about. Like, <laughs> I don't, because like, wasn't the whole thing that he like Percy like gave him back his mytho magic piece? Did he? It was like, oh, you you threw the one down that was your dad or whatever, and I'm gonna give it back to you. I I forget. That might have happened. I don't remember. It doesn't matter. But like, so the idea of Nico being like, I don't need the, my childhood stuff anymore. You're still a child. You can play mytho magic. He is, but also, uh, Nico's kind of fucking badass now. Yes. There's, there's the, because the, the Roman Senate is, like, packed full of ghosts, because all of Rome is, and there's a moment where they are, like, all yelling and chattering over each other because Octavian's doing his manipulative shit, and Nico just turns to the crowd of ghosts and puts his finger to his lips, and they all shut up instantly. <laughs> that part ruled. <laughs> Nico's so fucking cool. Nico is incredibly cool now. God. Like You think Nico's Percy's best friend now? <laughs> no, I that would be like kind of earned. Yeah, like they've they've had adventures together. I like think they've if, had more adventures than he's had with Grover. I think so. Like if we're if we're excluding Annabeth, if we're saying, okay, your girlfriend can't be your best friend, <laughs> then then I 
I don't know. I, I guess it is. It's Nico. It's I don't know. Frank and Hazel. That's Clar- a, that's been one day. If fucking Grover gets usurped by that, that's a bad sign. It really is. They're gonna be together for a week, and he's gonna be like, "Oh, you know, I." There's gonna be only. There's not a, enough room for all of us on the boat, Grover. I'm sorry. I have to take Fra- <laughs> take a friggin' Hazel. He's <laughs> like, "What? A, what? A, what about like? Oh, but." And it's like, oh, sorry. I, Frank needs his own room for his fucking firewood. <laughs> sorry, he's worried that you might eat it, Grover. <laughs> I know that's that's a horrible thing for him to say to you, but that's that's the worry. Anyway, we're leaving you. <laughs> oh god, wait, that'd be so fucked up if they if they meet Grover and Frank and Hazel are just so shitty to him. Oh fuck, no, that's what's gonna happen. Oh, oh, that's kind of sad, actually. I hate that. <laughs> no. Yeah, I take it I, all back. We need to be nice to Grover. Yeah, Grover's good. Like he's he's silly and he's kind of irrelevant, but I do like Grover. <laughs> I like that the book's um, method for amping up stakes. Uh. It's not enough that there is a giant living in Alaska who is unkillable, completely unkillable. Um, it's also that there is um, a giant coming down. Like, there's just also just the giant coming down to Camp Jupiter. How are they going to resolve both of these things in this book? Well, okay, but this is the thing. This isn't even raising the stakes. This is the stakes being exactly where they were last book, where there were also two giants. Were there? Yeah, there oh. was um, there was Porphyrion and whatever the other one was called. Oh, the fucking... Yeah, yeah. I guess you're right. I don't know. It felt And Jason fucking annihilated two of them in one day, so Yeah. They should get Jason back. <laughs> yeah, why did they trade again? <laughs> I kinda wanna talk actually, like go back I wanna go back to Reyna a bit more. Because yeah. the way she talks about like Jason is fascinating to me. Mm-hmm. What do you think of this? I mean, my, my my thing is mostly just about, like, the, the, the politicking. I'm interested in what you think specifically about, like, her and Jason. I guess, like, I that, I kind of agree with you because, like, if that... It feels like it's her saying, like, Hey, Percy, want to be my new boyfriend slash Praetor for political reasons? <laughs> like, that, that kind of is how it feels. Like, the way she says, like, Oh, we would have been in a relationship. It makes it... I don't, it has, like, that's not, it doesn't feel like that's how you talk about, it doesn't feel like that's how people talk about things. It it really reminds me of, um, uh, the, the first Alloy of Law book by Brandon Sanderson, where, like, there's this, um, this kind of scrappy country noble who's being put into an arranged marriage with this, like, um, kind of very, very cold, very matter-of-fact, uh, woman. And he's kind of like, oh, you know, I don't, I don't want to be locked into this kind of like loveless political marriage forever. And she like, like, is very confused by this, and then hands him a marriage contract with like a specific clause for like we can both have like mistresses or like cheat on each other whenever because it's just political. And honestly, Raina kind of gives me the same vibes. No, you're right. I think that's a really good good call like i think arranged marriage is exactly the kind of vibe yeah like oh yeah this is just something that'll happen like yeah that, that, it's cool yeah whatever like it's the vibe of like she thinks like not even that she thinks but the expectation is because she is like a praetor and jason is a praetor naturally they'll get into a relationship mm-hmm. and i don't know that is like rome is weird the roman camp is weird the Roman camp is so weird. We've and I, I one of the another like great moment in the Senate chamber is like Percy stepping up and giving his big speeches. Like it, it it gives us a good idea of why Juno tapped Percy specifically this beyond just him being the protagonist, which is like they are so wrapped up in their own bullshit and won't even talk about stuff like the failed expedition to Alaska. That like. Percy coming in and just talking about that shit and, like, generally, like, giving them a kick up the arse is, like, exactly what they needed. Like, he's the perfect person to shake things up enough to at least get the quest off the ground, even if Octavian is trying to 
fucking sabotage it. That's a good call. Yeah, Percy's personality is perfectly suited toward, like, uh, I guess poking at this pernicious sort of, uh, uh, like, persecution that the Romans have of... Poking pernicious persecution? Well, it's it's their propriety, right? Like they're <laughs> they're they're so pent up uh, with all their propriety <laughs> that uh, like Percy really has to that that I'm, I'm out of p words. That that's why Percy works for this. He did brilliantly. Thank you. Oh, <laughs> uh, but yeah, yeah. He it makes sense that he's here. Uh, you're right. Uh, do we want to talk about the? I I feel like. It's it's gonna be the rest of the episode. Um, should we talk about Thanatos? Oh fuck me! What the fuck, Rick? <laughs> what the fuck are you talking about, Rick? Why? I this is like a special flavor of weird. <laughs> We've talked about like weird metaphors before. We've talked about inserting strange history. Um, no. We've talked about like just like all the like the the Western chauvinism, the like American exceptionalism, yeah, the the racism, well, and I guess that's what this also is. But wh- okay, so Rick Riordan establishes here that in very explicit terms, the Thanatos is a border patrol agent, and this now is that- literally what Percy says out loud. And now, and this is like it keeps going. He doesn't just say it as like a one-off thing. Um, this is like the entire explanation. Thanatos is a border patrol agent who deports souls. He's very important because he has to be there to patrol the border and deport people. This is, to, to give you an idea of how like central this this idea of Thanatos as like the border patrol guy like tossing out all of the illegal souls is this is like framed like the bit in an episode of star trek where like geordie laforge will like hold up a banana or something and like peel it to fucking simulate like oh we're gonna peel the tachyons and fire them at the ship like it's the the central way of explaining the idea to the audience what this says to me is that like like you're right in that it is it's taking a complicated subject like tachyons or like weird <laughs> Greek gods and simplifying them, quote unquote, making them into something that everyone can understand, like like bananas or border patrol. <laughs> this is this is so fucking like sinister to me. I don't know. Like the fact that like Rick Riordan's relatable metaphor is that like we need to rescue the guy who deports people. I hate that. I really just don't. It makes my skin crawl. Uh, yeah. It turns out the the giants hate borders, uh, so they're based actually. <laughs> oh God. Yeah. No. Fuck it. Yeah. I'll, I'll agree with that. Why not? <laughs> we need a fucking Legend of Korra season three. Whatever. Like. <laughs> <laughs> the Order of the Red Lotus, except it's giants. Don't remind me that that exists. I'm so sorry. <laughs> <laughs> oh God, yeah. I what 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 purpose? I guess we've d- said what purpose this serves. I don't know. Well, the purpose it serves is that Rick just assumes that this is a universal thing that everyone will understand and has no problem with. <laughs> Yes, exactly. Not just that it's a universal thing, but it's but that it's a universal thing that people will hear and will be like, "Oh, you have to restore that. That's the natural order, and it must be returned." Nods wisely. More ice, please. God, God, <laughs> I, Jesus Christ, fucking <laughs> ice. Let me double check this. I guess ice on border patrol, but you take my point. I mean, but I understand, like, ICE has existed since, let's see, 2003. Mm. That's, that's like, two years before The Lightning Thief came out. Yep. I hate it. I wonder if, like, uh, I don't know, maybe, like, 
Frank, someone who comes from an immigrant family, might have something to say about this at any point. I, Probably not. He doesn't seem to. So, I mean, <laughs> the thing with Frank, and I, I I want to apologize because I think I called him, like, American a few times last... He's not American. He's Canadian. Oh, yeah. I, I think we must have brought that up because that was, like, why it's doubly funny that his mom got murked in Afghanistan. No, we laughed a lot about it. Um, yeah, <laughs> But I I somehow also talked about that and then was like, oh, yeah, of course, Frank. And I was like, oh, yeah, he's American. Ah, I don't. Right. Uh, so I'm simply correcting my foolish mistakes. I got uh, it. But the thing with a character like Frank is that he is explicitly positioned as being like. I mean, I guess this is something you would want to like not problematize, but like have the character question um, mm -hmm. or like come into conflict. I don't know if Rick Riordan will do this, but Frank is a character who is like explicitly i don't want anything to do with the part of me that is chinese um, true and so i it feels like this should be something that comes up like it feels like this should be like a conflict that is brought into play here i don't know if it will be i don't know if rick ryan has that in him i think that, i guess the, the the problem is that once someone starts questioning that idea the 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 consequences in the story are you might not restore death to being a thing which you can't not do. So I yeah. maybe this is something that like we're just not going to be able to question. And I guess ultimately that brings it to like, why the fuck did you choose this metaphor? <laughs> because I I mean, there's not going to be, this is not going to be the book where like Percy is like, well, we sure have to do this, but also fuck the police. I would love <laughs> it if that was this book, but it's I not going to be. I don't think that's ever going to be a book, but yeah, I, I would love that too. <laughs> Yeah, it should be a book. Um, but, like, <laughs> I don't know. I, I, This is just another example of Rick Riordan saying very questionable sentences. He, he has more questionable sentences in him as well. Uh-huh. With uh, Percy uh, walking through... Uh, where is it? Oh, Christ, I forgot. He, uh, uh, he's do, walking do, 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 through do. Oakland. Oakland, that was it. Oakland and fucking uh, Sigma staring a hundred gang members to yeah. make them fuck off and leave them alone. No, yeah, he's like Markiplier. He's Markiplier <laughs> to the LA gangs. All, all they've all gathered around him, ready to jump him. Because if you go in, because uh, Rick Riordan is saying, if you go into Oakland, be ready for a million gang members to attack you. Uh, I but he's been he's been wolf trained. He ha he's the <laughs> alpha male now. <laughs> and so, he just fucking stares them down and they run away. Yeah, it's it's so fun. Remember in the fucking first book when some kids tried to mug him and he pulled a sword on them? Yeah, okay, like weird Weird racism of Rick thinking that at any poor neighborhood is like fucking a Batman cartoon aside. Uh huh. Like it just, I think it is like weird for like the point of this scene, as explicitly laid out in the text, to be like Percy has nothing to fear from the mortal world anymore. Because like at, at that point, why the fuck are we even writing urban fantasy if he doesn't have to encounter like complications from mortals? I. That's a good point. I haven't thought about that much, but, like, that's something that rarely comes up in Percy Jackson. I think as we move away from, like, the school setting, like, the occasional, like, the mentions of Percy being in school especially, because that was, I think, where a lot of yeah. that conflict came up. Yeah. Um, I, I do wish we had more of that, because you're right that this is, a like, a subset of urban fantasy, and... You you want the mortal world to be there as well, and it it really kind of isn't. Mm -hmm. I think the Lost Hero did a decent job at that, um, but that was mainly through rooting it in character relationships and not so much like external forces. And Midas mugging off the Federal Reserve. <laughs> yes. <laughs> uh, should that be it for us today? Uh, I th I think so. Yeah, this is the God. This has been a this has been a weird one. That's been good. Uh, our intro and outro music is Super Mario Ocean by Space Pony. You can find that at OC Remix. Uh, our cover art is by Vera at Innsmouth underscore in on Twitter. 
We are hosted by the Moonshot Network of Podcasts. You can find them on twitter.com slash moonshotpods. They also do streams on Twitch. And we will put an ad for one of uh, their wonderful podcasts at the end of this episode. You can find us on twitter.com slash unwisegirls. There we've got links to our personal Twitters, our Discord server, and more. If you want to support us, you can go and leave us a five-star rating and review, or tell a friend, or monetarily, you can go to patreon.com slash unwisegirls, where for just a dollar a month, you get the Patreon, you get the Discord rule of a camp counselor. For three dollars a month, you get the Discord rule of friend of Bacchus, as well as all of our bonus content. Uh, yeah, this includes the bonus show that we were talking about before. Last week, uh, if you were into Jacqueline spreading her brain poison to me, uh, it was literally just an episode that was all about uh, Homestuck and about the uh, set of pages where Hussey turns all the characters into like weird clown people uh, and everyone shouted at him because there was weird racist shit in there. So that's fun. Yeah, it was pretty fun. Uh uh, and for $5 a month, you get the Discord role of Venus is Chosen, all of our bonus content, and a special thank you at the end of episodes. Speaking of which, this week we'd like to thank Danny, Tanner, Mercy, Veronica Friend, and Erica. Thank you, everyone. Thank you. And, as we always say, at the end of every single episode. See you next week, Camp Half-Blood. See you next week, Camp Half-Blood. Bye-bye. Bye. Nicole was your typical hopeless romantic, moonlighting as a fanfiction writer. Claudia was a hard-headed activist with a YouTube channel and the mysterious past. When Nicole hit a deep funk in her writing, Claudia suggests one of her hidden passions, romance novels. Now the two have fallen into a world of endless handsome hunks, doe-eyed damsels, and lascivious lovers. It is now their sacred duty to rank these novels on three criteria. Their steaminess. I had to fan myself off. Their dreaminess. She's not missing anything without him, but he makes her life better. And their meaniness. Cal wouldn't be in some small town pie eating contest. That's not why he left me. <laughs> Join our heroines every other week as they overcome unhealthy relationship archetypes, thesaurus abusing authors, and anatomical inaccuracies to prove that love can conquer all on the Three Little Words Podcast, only on the Moonshot Network.